Thank you for listening to City Awakening Podcast. City Awakening is a gospel-centered church located in East Orlando that plants new churches, striving to be a multicultural, multi-generational church. For more information about City Awakening, follow us on social media or visit www.cityawakening.org. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Lewis. I'm the lead pastor here at City Awakening. Welcome to those of you who are here on site and to those of you watching online. Welcome. We're glad you're joining us online as well. Uh, if you have elementary age children with you here today, we want to encourage you to send them to Children's Church at this time. Our leaders are going to be in the back there for you, ready to check them in. Uh, we felt like today's message was not appropriate for elementary age ears to hear. And so uh, we have children's ministry available for you. Like I said, our leaders will be checking them in in the back, and then you can go back and get them after the service. Don't leave them here with us. Even though you want to have a babysitter, uh, you can go pick them up afterwards. They're yours, okay? So make sure you take them home with you. Uh, But that being said, you have been uh, forewarned, okay? So you cannot complain if you are going to have to have conversations that you didn't expect to have at this age yet, all right? Because I have forewarned you. If you have any concerns or complaints about it after the service, you can email me personally at zach at cityawakening.org, okay? So you can do that personally, all right? Listen, as the children are being checked in, um, we, we do want to celebrate something because uh, we, we have a tremendous celebration uh, here today. We are going to be baptizing seven people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ today. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's something very exciting, and it's one of my most exciting things to be a part of um, as a pastor and as a Christian, you know, just having the opportunity to be a part of that. Seven people who have said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ and, you know, has, as their Lord and their Savior, and each of these people has a unique story of various different people in their lives who have helped lead them to a relationship with Jesus, and we're going to hope to try and get you some of those stories or glimpses of those stories over the next few weeks, but each of these people have a unique story, and City Awakening, we are a part of that story which is why they're wanting to get baptized here. And so this should go, uh, go to show you that, uh, you know, your invitations for people to come to church matters. Your invitations for people to come to have a relationship with Jesus Christ when you're living outside the church matters. Even your financial giving to support the ministries of the church here matters tremendously. It matters tremendously to the people who are being baptized here today. You know, they are evidence that your invitations truly can lead to, to transformations, right? Your, um, our, our desire as a church, one of the things you'll hear us say often is we want to live contently, give generously so that we can reach more missionally. And, and this is evidence that that can happen and that that, that, that that does take place, all right? So let's keep going, let's keep inviting, and let's keep giving to be able to reach more people missionally, all right? Let's keep giving and let's keep inviting to be able to reach people and reach the world with the gospel, which is our, our mission here at City awakening. All right, so it's a joyous time. We're actually going to be baptizing them at the end of the service. We'll do it in the courtyard um, afterwards, so we're looking forward to that. Now, that being said, all right, today we've given enough of a bumper now, all right? So um, today we are going to be continuing our teaching series on a book of the Bible called Proverbs, which is all about gaining practical wisdom for everyday life. And we're going to talk about in particular today is the topic of sex. All right, we're going to talk about gaining practical wisdom when it comes to sex. All right, now maybe you grew up in a home, because this is the reality, right? Some of you grew up in a home where, you know, maybe you didn't talk about sex or, you know, maybe you went to a church where they never really talked about it. It's kind of one of those, you know, hey, we ain't talking about it. Just keep your head down and keep moving forward, right? We're just not going to address it, all right? Well, 
today's text may actually seem a bit erotic for you, and so you actually may come to a point where you're going to feel a bit offended. Some of you may be, be that, right? You, you may get offended. Some of you may actually blush in the, in the middle of the text, right, as we're teaching these things. But I want to be very clear on this because I think some churches get off track and some pastors get off track on this. They try to teach some things in order to be considered an edgy church or a hipster type church. You know, man, we're cutting edge and all that. No, we are not going to do that here. We are simply going to teach the text as it is. Uh, we're not going to try and, uh, you know, push the buttons a bit just so you can see us as a cool edgy church or anything like that. All right. So just to be clear, we're not going to do that. But we will talk about this and we're going to use the specific te text that we're going to be talking about today because God talks about it, right? Apparently, God felt it was important enough to keep it in the Scriptures, and so we feel it's important enough for us to talk about. We're also going to talk about it today because we are living in a casual sex culture, which makes it now a necessity for us to talk about this. Now, we're living in such a casual sex culture that we want you to be able to hear why God's design for sexual intimacy is so much greater and more pleasurable, pleasurable than our casual sex culture's view of sexual intimacy, all right? So that's that's why we're going to be talking about these things today. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn them over to Proverbs chapter 5. If you open your Bible to the middle, if you're new to your Bible, open your Bible to the middle, you'll find Proverbs a little bit to the left or the right of there. We'll also have the words on the screen for you. We'll be in Proverbs chapter 5, verses um, 15 to 19 today. And the title of today's message is Wisdom with Sex. And here's the big idea of the message for those of you taking notes, all right? It, it's that there's, um, the, the, sex is more pleasurable when we don't undervalue or overvalue it, all right? Sex is the most pleasurable when we don't undervalue or overvalue it, when we follow God's design for sexual intimacy. All right, to give you a little bit of context here, King Solomon is the author of Proverbs, and so he is known as one of the most famous, wealthiest, wisest kings in human history. All right, historically, we know that he was so wise that people would travel from all over the world in order to be able to gain from his wisdom. We're going to gain from his wisdom when it comes to this topic of sex, and we're going to address four questions. Again, for those of you taking notes, here's the four questions, right? Question number one, how do we undervalue sex? All right, how do we undervalue sex? How do we overvalue sex? That's, that's number two, okay? How do we overvalue it? Number three, what is a healthy view of sex? Okay, what is a healthy biblical view and understanding of sexual intimacy? And then number four, how can we keep sex healthy and good, all right? How can we keep it healthy and good? Those are the four questions that we're going to be addressing today, all right? So let's get into it. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 to 19 states this. Drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. All right, so the, the cistern, the, the well, the um, water flowing, the, in Hebrew poetry, this is symbolism for female sexuality. All right, so it's talking about the cistern, the well, the water flowing. This is uh, female sexuality. All right, so, you know, like I said, a little bit erotic on that, but here's the reality. Okay, Solomon is teaching us at this point, hey, pay attention, we're talking about female sexuality here. Again, verse 15 states, drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. All right, so notice the shift now to um, male sexuality, right? He, he's talking about, in Hebrew poetry, okay, the fountain is a symbolism of the male sexuality. I'm not going into details of that. If you're confused about that, then you can ask your small group leader. It'll make it an interesting night for small groups, okay? 
just know that he is talking about, what Solomon's talking about here is sexual intimacy between a male and a female, specifically between a husband and a wife. Listen to what he says, right? He says, your cistern, your well, your fountain, and he says it's not to be shared with anyone else except for your spouse alone. You're the spouse of your youth, right? He is talking about, you know, having sexual intimacy in in a marital relationship, one man, one woman, marital relationship together, being faithful, being committed to the person that you're married to, right? That's what he's talking about here. Now, this is an extremely high view of sexual intimacy in marriage, especially when compared to ancient civilizations back then, and I would even say compared to our casual sex culture, um, you know, that we're living in today. And listen, let me be clear on something, okay? Um, whenever we talk on a topic like this, um, people can feel sometimes um, very wounded and hurt inside, you know, and maybe embarrassed and shamed inside of that. Listen, um, for now, just hear the teaching of the text, and we will address that a bit later, okay? So breathe out a bit because we love you, we care for you, and we are here for you, and I want you to be able to see in the end that, that yeah, God has healing available to all of us regardless of, of what our stories are in this room. But for now, just know that he is talking about how, yes, it should be reserved between one man, one woman, marital relationship, and this is a very high high view of sexual intimacy and marriage. See, in ancient civilizations back then, they treated sexual intimacy and marriage a bit more transactional uh, than it was relational. And so they would basically marry for one or two reasons, all right? They would marry um, for strategic economic reasons. It's basically like, hey, you know, I think it would be better if our two families came together. It would be better strategically and economically for us to do that. And so let's marry, you know, our son and our daughter, the daughter, and let's bring them together. And this will strengthen us economically. They would also marry in order to be able to have children and carry on the family name and carry on the family lineage. All right, so it was a bit more transactional than it was relational. But what Solomon is showing us here, he's ahead of his time here, what he's showing us here is that sexual intimacy in marriage is so much more than that. He's saying that it is a faithfulness, a committed relationship between a husband and wife together. In fact, he even says in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 17, he calls the spouse a, a companion. And in Hebrew, that word companion means an intimate friend, a best friend. So see, your spouse is meant to be your companion, your intimate friend, your best friend. Why? Well, because the two of you have now come together as one. You have joined together as one, all right? So this is what Solomon is saying. He's putting a much higher view on sexual intimacy and marriage than ancient civilizations or even some of our casual sex culture does today. The two are to become one flesh is what he's saying, right? There's a mingling of the souls that ends up taking place there. And so what's mine is now yours. And what's yours is now mine. It is not that this is mine and this is yours. No, no, this is now ours. All right. Now, how is it though that we undervalue sex? You know, how does that happen? How do we undervalue sex? The way we undervalue sex is we treat it like a commodity, See, he's putting a high value on it, not an overvalue or an undervalue. It's a good value on it, right? But, but we tend to do it when we treat sex like a commodity, right? Our casual sex culture basically teaches us um, to view sex as a commodity in two ways. First, first we're, we treat um, our bodies like a commodity, right? Casual sex culture causes us to treat our bodies like a commodity, meaning, you know, it's, it's just purely physical, 
You know, sexual intimacy is just physical, you know, it's a part of your physical, natural desires, and so don't resist it, don't resist the urges, instead give in to it, right? No boundaries, you know, forget about that, like this is a part of your natural desires, why would you try to resist that? It's just like eating food, you know, you get hungry, you eat, well, if your hormones start to raise, man, go have sex, like don't resist that because it's a part of the natural, physical body. See, that's it, it's a commodity, Now, we know this is true because we just see what's happening even with the porn industry, right? The porn industry treats sex like a commodity and is making a profit off of sexual appetites. In fact, did you know that the porn industry makes more than professional baseball, basketball, and football combined? It makes more than ABC, CBS, and NBC combined. The porn industry makes roughly $97 billion a year, not million, $97 billion a year, which goes to show you that we have turned sexual intimacy into a profitable commodity, right? Now, just to address this question, right? I mean, think about this for a second. If sex is meant to be just physical, right? If it's meant to be just something that's simply casual, it's a commodity, then why is it that that somebody, you know, that you love cheating on you or committing adultery on you is so deeply painful. If sex is just meant to be a commodity, if it's meant to be, you know, something that's just casual and physical, then why is it that you wouldn't be okay with the person that you love having casual sex with somebody else? The fact that that would bother you should tell you that there is so much more to sexual intimacy than just simply a physical act satisfying our physical, natural desires. It's so much more than physical. It is emotional. It is even spiritual that, that, that takes place, right? It is two people coming together as one, two bodies joining to, together, joining their flesh together as one. It is a mingling of the souls, which is why it is meant to be reserved between one man, one woman, and a marital relationship together. It's because the two are now becoming one. They're sharing everything together. Like I said, it's not, not this is mine and this is, you know, this is ours. This is our income. This is our family. This is our home. The two have become one flesh they have mingled their souls together, and so therefore we are to share. You know, we're, we, this is what's mine is yours. We are one. See, sexual intimacy outside of marriage doesn't share in that oneness. It's not committed to that oneness. It's committed to, to physical pleasure. And as a result, we start to treat our bodies like a commodity. We treat the other person's body like a commodity to satisfy our own physical pleasures. But the other way that we treat it like a commodity is when it comes to our relationships. So we tend to undervalue sex by treating our relationships like a commodity. Well, how do we do that? Well, by viewing somebody as a commodity, by viewing people as just a product to be consumed, well, then that gives you the opportunity to say, well, you know, we just consume the product and now I have the freedom. I can just move on from the product. I don't have to be committed to that anymore. Yeah, but pastor, you know, I I love the person that I'm dating. You know, I'm committed to the person that I'm dating. Listen, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that you actually love the person that you may be dating or that you're committed to the person that you're dating. But I do doubt the level of your love and I do doubt the level of your commitment to the person that you're dating because you may have given your body up to them sexually, but you have not given your life up to them fully. You have not given your life up to them fully to the point to where you say, you know what, um, I am ready to fully commit my life to you. I'm willing to fully be all in and to, to share each other's burdens. I'm willing to carry your burdens, share your burdens, share, share your problems, share your faults, your flaws, your, your needs with you. 
I am willing to, to fully commit to looking you in the eyes and saying the vows to you, saying the marital vows to you. And I promise to, to love you, you know, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, or for in, you know, in sickness and in health. Now, being fully committed in, in, with your life and with your love in marriage. But see, you're not there. You're pretending to be married if you are giving your body up sexually to the person that you're dating, but you're not married because you haven't given your life up fully to them yet. Because you are still holding on to the right to be like, yo, I'm out. You're still holding on to the right to be able to dip out on the relationship if things get hard, if the two of you are no longer meeting each other's needs anymore. In essence, what you're doing in that moment is you're basically saying, you know, man, I, you know, like I, I, I like the goods, but, but I'm not fully committed to you. You know, like, I love the product, but I don't fully love you yet to this capacity. I don't fully want to commit to everything that you have. So what Solomon is teaching us here is he's teaching us not to undervalue sex. He's teaching us that sex, sexual intimacy is meant to be between one man, one woman, fully committed, best friends, intimate friends, not sharing your sister, not sharing your well, not sharing your, your fountain with, with another. You know? That's what he's teaching us here. Sexual intimacy outside of marriage, though, isn't committed to that kind of oneness, at least not yet. All right, now, number two, all right, the second question we say we'd address is, is how do we overvalue sex. Right, how do we tend to overvalue it? Well, Proverbs chapter 11 verse 22 states this, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. All right, what it's basically saying here, what Solomon's saying here is, is, you know, you look at a gold ring, you know, gold ring looks beautiful. It's nice and shiny, right? But it isn't so shiny when it's attached to a pig's snout, right? And so he's saying in a similar way, a, a woman can look beautiful on the outside, a man can look handsome on the outside, but they can lack discretion, they can lack character, they can lack beauty on the inside. And so he's saying that, you know, we should look not to simply outside beauty. Instead, we should look at the character, the depth, the beauty that is on a person on the inside as well, for, because that's what's critical to relational longevity. See, we overvalue sex, though, in our culture with our casual sex mentality, right? We overvalue, uh, we overvalue it by um, overvaluing beauty and sex on the outside. You know, tend to look at uh, beauty and sex on the outside as the priority in the relationship, not so much what's on the inside. Now, I want to talk specifically um, to singles first, and then I want to address just a little bit of men and, the, and then also the women, okay? So for those of you who are single in the room, and this is, this, these type of sermons can be really difficult sometimes to hear. Now, very hard because, you know, you don't have a spouse right now, and so it's really hard for, for you to not have that, and you can feel these. And so um, I want to be clear about a, a couple of things, okay? First of all, some of you may be in this room here, and potentially the reason why you are single is because you are the person who's trying to look for somebody who has the depth on the inside. You've been trying to look for that person who has the depth, who has the character, who even aligns with you in your faith, which is critical as a Christian, but you haven't found that yet because we're living primarily in a culture that simply makes casual sex or makes beauty and sex as the priority, the outward appearances as the priority. And so it's been very hard for you as a single person. You know, you want to be married. You want to have sexual intimacy with a spouse that you love as your best friend. But for whatever reason, God hasn't given that to you yet. 
And I want you to know that that's hard, and it's, and it's okay for you to wrestle with that, and even to mourn that, and even to wrestle with, God, why aren't you giving that to me yet? Why'd you even put this desire in my heart right now, but yet you're not giving it to me? It's very normal for you to wrestle with that, and it's okay, but I want you to let today's text be an encouragement to you, telling you, hey, listen, don't lower your standards Okay, just because we're living in a culture that is saying view the outside, you know, view, view beauty and sex as the most critical thing to your relationship, don't sacrifice that. Keep looking for the character on the inside, even seeking the Lord on it and asking the Lord, man, Lord, help me, bring this to me. It's okay for you to ask for that. I also want to encourage you to not make, um, because you, you can sometimes, and we in general can um, sometimes overvalue marriage, making it out to be that this is the epitome of what it means to be fully human and fully happy. Even though you are single, that does not make you less of a human. Okay, that does not mean that you are less able to serve here in the church and, and to not be loved on and cared for and vice versa in the church. No, Jesus was single, he was celibate, he was fully human, fully divine, and he was fully happy. All right, so don't listen to Jerry Maguire saying, you complete me. No, he doesn't. All right, no, she doesn't. All right, listen to Jesus saying, come and follow me. All right, come, come, because he's the one who's been fully human, fully divine, single, celibate, and still fully happy. All right, so nobody can bring you completeness and wholeness like Jesus can. You can think that a companion will, married people, you can think that another spouse will, but they will never satisfy you like only Jesus Christ can. Jesus is the one who can give us wholeness. He's the one who can give us completeness. He is the one who can even empower us, both singles and married, to be able to live the sexual intimacy that God has designed us to live with instead of overvaluing or undervaluing it. Okay, men, let me say this. Men, when we overvalue sex and, and even beauty, okay, when we tend to habitually uh, objectify women or, uh, you know, view women as a commodity like we said before, or when we tend to view them based upon just their beauty on the outside, it is destructive to women. It is destructive to the very ladies in this room who we love tremendously. Some of them are our are, are wives. Some of them are our, our daughters. Some of them are family members, sisters. It is destructive when we do this because it's destructive to their identity. It's destructive to their self-esteem. It's destructive to their self-worth, even to their emotional security, being filled with all kinds of insecurities. A lot of this stems because of the pressures that we're putting on them by making beauty out to be this overvalued thing, this great thing, that it's more important than anything else. And it can even cause some women to actually harm themselves through things like anorexia or bulimia or, or even um, you know, cosmetic surgery, you know, putting their lives and their health at risk just to be able to maintain beauty, to look beautiful in culture. Men, the ladies face enough pressures as it is to try and feel beautiful outside the church. Let us not add to those pressures within the church. Instead, let us do what we can to make this be a place where the women feel loved, where they feel cared for, where they feel secure, most importantly, secure in their relationship with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. For those of you who are ladies in here, right, ladies, you sometimes will overvalue sex too. Because sometimes you give sex and beauty too much worth in your life, too much stock in your life, especially when it comes to beauty. You know, you, you uh, maybe 
you know, care, care and worry way too much about the way you look or about some of the flaws that are on your body or maybe wrinkles come into your face or even, you know, um, gray hairs that might be showing up on your body. But if the man truly loves you, he's going to see the radiance of your beauty in all of those things. Like, I am looking forward, actually, to growing old. I'm looking forward to being an old silverback gorilla holding my wife's hands, my silverback queen's hands, man. I'm like, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, I'm not, not worried. I'm looking forward to that opportunity. But some of y'all worry way too much about this, and you're trying to do everything you can to slow back time, to fight the aging process, and as if aging isn't beautiful. You know, the, the aging can be beautiful as well. Some of you ladies are also wanting to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Like, you, if you don't know what Proverbs 31 is, go back and look it up, and you can see what a Proverbs 31 woman, the description of it is. Some of y'all desire and you strive to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Nothing wrong with that. Now, you want to be a woman who is able to bless her family year after year, and her family calls her blessed, right? Her children call her blessed. Did you know, though, that in Proverbs 31, it never mentions the Proverbs 31 woman's physical beauty. Never once does it mention physical beauty. You know what it does? It actually mentions beauty, but in a negative way. Proverbs 31 verse 30 says this, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. See, it's referring to beauty as a negative thing, as something that is fleeting, as something that is fading if it does not have the inner beauty. If it's the inner beauty that is going to last, the character, the love, the faith in Christ, the relationship with the Lord. See, what Solomon is saying is, is that, that it's the inside that is most critical to the longevity of a relationship, not the outside beauty. I mean, you just watch a few episodes or seasons of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and you're going to see that to be true, No. I mean, you know, all these people coming together, you know, all bronzed up, you know, all buffed out and everything, you know, handsome guys, good-looking girls, they come together, right? And then what happens? Most of them don't even last. It's because it's not the outside beauty, it's the inside beauty that is critical to the longevity of a relationship. You know, when I first met my wife, you know, listen, I'll admit, I'll admit, you know, when I first met her, man, I thought she was gorgeous. I still think she's gorgeous today, you know? I mean, she's like a, you know, fine wine that gets better with time, right? You know, more beautiful with time. Was that good, honey? Come on, a little bit? No? She, she's rolling around. She's like, uh, uh. Come on. It's all good. <laughs> what I mean is, is like, you know, in other, in other words, when I first, I got to admit it, right? When I first met her, I mean, I actually was an atheist. Some of y'all know that. You know my story. So I was an atheist. So I didn't, I didn't care. I wasn't thinking of like, you know, let me find a Proverbs 31, you know, godly woman or anything like that. You know, I just thought she was beautiful. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I came to church because I thought she was cute. She invited me to church. So I'm like, all right, I'll go to church, right? But and it, it, so with her though, you know, it's like, you know, when I, what first attracted me to her was her beauty. But it was her character and her heart that caused me to fall in love with her. That's the difference. It's her character. It's her heart. It's her love for Christ that is causing me to still fall in love with her and even to fall deeper in love with her. Solomon is saying that it's not the outside beauty. It's the inside beauty of a person that will result to the longevity of a relationship with Christ as our foundation too. All right, so we've talked about how do we undervalue sex, how do we overvalue sex, but what is a healthy view of sex? All right, what is a healthy biblical view of, of sex? People typically tend to view sex in one of three ways. 
Now, they either view it as a God, they view it as gross, or they view it as a gift. See, some people will view sex as a God. You know, this is um, where, you know, it's, you know, the kind of, uh, I, I always want, I gotta have it. You know, it's more of an addiction. You know, this is where like the porn stuff comes in as well. You know, we, it can come, fall under this category. You know, this can be an actual side of overvaluing sex as well, right? Treat it as a God. Some people can view it um, as gross. You know, it, it's an undervaluing of sex. You know, don't, don't want it, don't really want anything to do with it. And sometimes that can actually be the result of some very painful things. It can be the result of uh, emotional um, issues or even physical issues that can come into play in that. And I want you to know if you wrestle with either sex as God or sex as gross, you know, um, as a church, we want to help you walk through those struggles even connect you with resources or even counselors. You know, we have counselors in our church we can connect you with and, and you know, so that you can start to view sex as a healthy gift that God intended it to originally be. See, biblically speaking, God intended sex to be a gift. Not, not God, not gross, but a gift. It's a wonderful gift to be enjoyed between one man, one woman in a marital relationship with each other. It's a wonderful gift that God has given us for procreation, for protection from sexual temptation, even for pleasure, even for oneness and the mingling of souls. It's intended to be a beautiful thing, a great thing. It's intended to be a good thing, and God has given us the responsibility to keep it a good thing by being faithful to his design. Right, so how do we do that, though? How do we keep it a good thing? How do we keep sex healthy and good? To be a healthy and good gift as God intended it to be. And we need to go back to Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 and 19, because I want to point out to you three things, three ways that Solomon gives us to be able to keep sex healthy, to keep it good to keep it as the gift that God intended it to be. Here comes the first. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 and 19 says this, drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Okay, so number one, keep it exclusive. All right, keep it exclusive. So the way to keep sexual intimacy healthy and good and as a gift that God intended to be, um, we're to keep it exclusive between you and your spouse alone. Solomon says, your cistern, your well, your fountain, not to be shared with a stranger, but, but, but for your spouse, right? For each other. It's supposed to be exclusive, which means that, you know, viewing pornography is out. Viewing somebody lustfully is out. It's okay for you to have, you know, um, an attraction towards somebody, but when you start to harbor over that person, out, right? Uh, casual sex is out. You know, sex before marriage is, is out. And it's meant to be viewed as, as something that is exclusive, you know, between the husband and, and the wife in the marital relationship. You know, yeah, but, you know, pastor, you know, uh, you know, what, what if, you know, uh, you know I, I, I've been dating them for a while, or, you know, what if the love side? We already addressed that, right? Oh, well, pastor, you're just being old school, man. This is 2021. Like, get with the times. No, I'm being biblical. And if you love Jesus, then be biblical to follow Jesus, follow God's design for this. Because really, if you want to talk about being old school, then keep having casual sex and have sex outside of marriage and treat it like it's, you know, like it's not something emotional or spiritually attached to it as well because that's what ancient civilizations have been doing for years. Right? But if you want something, you want it to be new, you want it to be enjoyable as God intended it to be, then you know what? Sexual intimacy between the husband and the wife in a marital relationship 
together. Now, if you're dating somebody right now and that's, you know, not happening, man, have the conversation today and, and say, you know, hey, how can we honor God? And let's be exclusive for our future spouses, which actually may not be you. You may think you're going to be the future spouse, but the relationship could end, and it's not you. And so have the conversation with each other today, but we need to keep it exclusive, right? Um, here comes the second one, verse 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving deer, a graceful doe, let her husband always satisfy, or let her breasts always satisfy you. Sorry. Some of y'all are like, hmm, I like that verse, right? Some of your men are like, yep, mm-hmm, that's my new memory verse, right? <laughs> Number two, keep it enjoyable, right? Keep it enjoyable. So sexual intimacy, keeping it healthy, keeping it good, entails keeping it exclusive, but also enjoyable. Solomon says that it's meant to be, you know, something that's pleasurable, delightful, that it's something that's meant to be satisf- satisfying to both the husband and the wife, Sexual intimacy isn't just for procreation, it is also for uh, pleasure, right? I mean, God knew what he was doing when he created human anatomy, right? It's not like he sat there and said, oh, and sees Adam and Eve having sex. Didn't see that coming, right? Didn't didn't anticipate that was going to happen. No, like he knew it was going to happen. Just like he creates our taste buds for pleasure when we eat, he created human anatomy for sexual pleasure. It is meant to be a good thing. It is meant to be a pleasurable thing, a delightful thing between the husband and wife. And it is meant to be mutually pleasurable as well. Okay, meaning that, you know, husband and wife are together to talk and have conversations and it's meant to be in a pleasurable, enjoyable thing for both. Not selfish lovers, but selfless lovers, being willing to come together and talk about it together. It is meant to be exclusive, and it is meant to be enjoyable. See, the Bible, man, it doesn't teach that sexual intimacy because you're a Christian or whatever needs to be dull, needs to be, you know, just, you know, you need to be a prude or anything like that. No, it is time. It's okay to have these conversations, Christians. It's okay. In fact, it's healthy to have these conversations and to talk about it. And if you wrestle with having these kind of conversations, let us know. Again, we'll walk with you through that. All right, last one. Again, verse 19, let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. All right, this is number three. Keep it frequent. All right, keep it frequent. The way to keep sexual intimacy healthy and good as the gift God intended to be is to keep it exclusive, to keep it enjoyable, and to keep it frequent. Solomon says, get lost in her love forever. Actually, the Hebrew would be a bit stronger. And the Hebrew would say, you know, um, be intoxicated by her love. Some of you have ESVs, and that's what the translation says. Be intoxicated with love. In other words, man, be drunk on love for her. You know, be, be so in love with her that you're, it's almost like you're intoxicated in love with her so that you don't have eyes for anybody else. Now, this is where frequency can actually be helpful. It can be a protection for, for people. Or it can be a protection for you, for your spouse, for, for marriage. You know, it can help you to, to help your spouse not have eyes that'll, that'll wander or to maybe even think or give in to sexual temptation. In fact, um, the scriptures teach in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See, sexual intimacy, yes, it's for procreation. It can be for that. Okay, not for everybody. It can be for that. It can be for um, for pleasure, it can be for protection. See, a selfless lover, um, they, they understand that, man, is, you know, 
It, it doesn't always have to be a date night or waiting until an anniversary night or, you know, waiting until you're just not so tired from the long day at work. You know, a selfless lover understands that the stars aren't always going to align, but they say, you know what, listen, for the health of our marriage and for the health of our, our, our um, sexual intimacy, you know, what? we're going we're gonna to have sexual intimacy frequently for protection of each other too and out of a deep love to serve one another. Now, again, there are things that can happen, you know, there can be, um, you know, emotional struggles, there can be physical struggles that can hinder, you know, frequency, but it does not have to hinder being deeply drunk on love for each other. You can still be drunk on love with each other, deep in love with each other, even without that being the case. Because otherwise, if we make it about that, what we've what we just done is, is we just under, overvalued it, you know, we just undervalued it, treat it like a commodity. Solomon is teaching us that the way to keep sexual intimacy healthy, holy, good, as the gift that God intended to be is, uh, we need to keep it exclusive, keep it enjoyable, and keep it frequent in marriage, okay? So uh, that being said, let's have the worship team come on up, and let's get to the big idea of the message. All right, this is the big idea. Sex is the most pleasurable when we do not undervalue it and we do not overvalue it. See, when we undervalue or overvalue sex, it'll eventually rob us from joy in so many different ways. Some of the ways that we discussed here, but even more ways than this. But when we follow God's design for sexual intimacy, it'll bring us the most pleasure. When we follow God's design for anything, it will always bring us the most pleasure in life. And so I want to... I want to ask you this, and I've tried to think about how I want to be able to ask this, because I want the, I want the Lord to just do some work in our hearts this morning, okay? I'm going to close this in some prayer in just a minute, but I want the Lord to just do some work in our hearts today. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to ask you, in fact, if, if you're more comfortable with it, close your eyes, but I'm going to look straight ahead. Um, Nolan, I'm not looking at you. Juan, I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at the clock, all right? But I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask this question even for those of you at home. Have you sinned sexually? And the reason why I don't want to stare at you personally because I don't want you to have this guilt and shame that you're just going to carry because Jesus came to, reliber- to liberate us from guilt and shame. But have you sinned sexually? Have you been carrying that burden on you even as I've been preaching and teaching this message? Jesus is willing to forgive you. Have you been hurting sexually? Maybe because of something that somebody else has done against you. It's deeply painful. And Jesus is willing to heal you today. Have you been struggling with sexual sin, sexual temptation? Jesus is willing to walk with you in that struggle so that you can see the beauty of his love is so much greater than the sin. City Awakening, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christianity is this, that Jesus allowed his body to be scarred on the cross, on the outside, so that you could see the riches of his love on the inside. And I'm talking specifically to you, to every person in here, including myself. Jesus allowed his body to be scarred on the outside so you could see the beauty of his love on the inside 
receive that love and allow that love to change and to transform your life on the inside. He did this not because you are beautiful or I'm beautiful. He did this because he is beautiful and he wants us to make he wants to make us beautiful like him. There isn't a single person in this room right now who does not have some type of sin or hurt that they've been battling with. Jesus' death on the cross proves that he is willing to forgive us of our sin and the power of his resurrection proves that he has the very power to forgive us and to heal us of any kind of brokenness that sin has caused in our lives, including sexual sinful brokenness that has taken place. The question is, will you receive his forgiveness? Will you receive his healing? Will you receive his love today? Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Forgiveness is available to you today. And he rose from the dead on the third day, which means that healing is available for you today. Let's pray for that. Jesus, I pray for the singles that are in the room here today. Embrace them with your love. Let not anybody ever look down upon them for singleness. And may they draw near to you and may you answer their plea to be able to find a good godly spouse so that they can make more disciples for your namesake. And should that not come into their life, God, then provide them with a tremendous amount of grace to help them to walk faithfully with you. But we're asking, Lord, we're asking, would you give? We pray for married couples in the room that whatever conversations need to be had or whatever counseling needs to be had, that they would keep you at the center of their marriage that if there is a view of sex as God or gross in their marriage, God, that you would remove it and help them to see sex as a beautiful thing, as a beautiful, beautiful gift that you've given the two of them. Would you help to heal and strengthen their marriage and protect the marriages that are here today? Pray for the people, Lord, who are struggling with receiving forgiveness because of maybe sexual sin that is in their life. God, would you let them know that you love them and this is the very reason why you went to the cross to die for them and to die for the forgiveness of all their sins, not just sexual sin. Would you allow the person who has been wounded by the sexual sin of others, God, that hurts so deeply and tremendously. Oh, Jesus, would you fill their hearts with your love? Would you let them know that this is a community of love and that we're here to care for them and walk with them? Finally, God, I do pray for forgiveness for the churches here in Orlando. We have not represented you well from the pulpit. We have not represented you well with our marriages. And there has become grief and hurt and heartbreak in our city because of failed pastoral leadership And God, we're not demonizing the pastors and their families for falling. Do that, God. Would you provide healing for the remnant that have been a part of churches like that? Would you provide healing for the members of those churches and bring those who have fallen away from the church because of those things, bring them back, Lord, into your church again so they could see the beauty and the healing of your love once again, afresh and anew in their life. But forgive us, Lord, for not representing you well. Would you protect this church? Would you protect the churches in Orlando and the leadership in Orlando and their families so that this would not become a repeat in our city? 
Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your great love that you poured out for us on the cross. We give you all praise. We give you all glory. Satisfy our souls today as we exalt your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.